Welcome to this episode of Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. I'm J.C. Swangruber. Uh, thank you all for uh, tuning in. Happy New Year. Uh, I think we're all probably glad to get to a new year. <laughs> I know I certainly am. Uh, 2020 was the best uh, at all for many of us. But hey, we're here. It's a brand new year and every day is what we make it. So let's hope uh, and let's, uh, let's work to make every day a good day here in 2021. Um, or as one of my friends calls it, 2K21, because they refuse to admit that 2020 won. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty clever. All right, maybe. All right, that's my nerd moment of the uh, of the day. Hey, we do have some uh, some good news and some sad news for this particular podcast. But let's uh, let's not start off with the sad stuff. Let's talk uh, a little bit about um, uh, some good things that happened here toward the end of the year. Uh, as you know, and I've mentioned on previous podcasts, that a lot of nonprofit organizations have struggled this year because of COVID-19 and, and restrictions put on uh, small businesses and a lot of people out of work or not getting sufficient work. Donations for a lot of organizations have really dried up, and that included ours as well. You know, for the most part, um, you know, none of us are wealthy, but we try to pay out of pocket what we can uh, uh, to, you know, to do what we do. Um, and every donation we get is greatly appreciated, even if it's going online uh, on our website and doing five bucks or uh, or seeing me out somewhere and say, hey, man, I've got my debit card. Where's your little square? And let's let's make a $20 donation. Every bit of that helps. Uh, mail and checks. Occasionally we do get some check donations in the mail. So thanks uh, to all of you who have, during the course of 2020, had the ability to uh, donate. We greatly appreciate it. Um, and those of you who haven't, uh, but have donated in other ways, um, for example, like sharing our posts on Facebook um, and uh, and listening to our podcast and sharing our podcast. We appreciate uh, every bit of that. We're trying to spread a good message and you know put a positive foot forward uh, for all of Appalachia, uh, and that's why we call this podcast Appalachian Shine. Let's uh, let's shine a light on the best of what we are here in Appalachia. And uh, that, that's important. And that's going to be important in 2021 as well. So at the end of the year, uh, we were pleasantly surprised. Uh, we got a grant we didn't even ask for, believe it or not. Um, we got a, uh, so I wanted to say a thank you to um, Williams Company Fund at the Tulsa Community Foundation. Uh, they made a charitable grant uh, to, here, to us here at the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement uh, general, just for general operations and whatever programs that we might want to develop out of that. So we got a $2,500 grant uh, from them, and we, we definitely want to say a big thank you to the folks at Williams Companies Fund at Tulsa Community Foundation. Uh, they've, they've done a lot to, I guess, you know, just, just help other nonprofits around the country to uh, make ends meet, uh, keep functioning. Uh, keep doing what they do. So to those organizations out there like that, and especially uh, Tulsa Community Foundation, Williams Companies Fund, thank you so much. Uh, we, we do appreciate it. Uh, if you are interested, to go, just go look up um, Williams Companies Foundation uh, online, and you'll, you'll find some information there. Uh, and, uh, and Tulsa Community Foundation, uh, look them up online as well. Uh, and uh, thank you, folks, very much. We certainly appreciate it. It is it, it was a blessing. It came at a, at a right at the right time. So uh, we we certainly appreciate it. 
So let's kind of jump on into a couple things here uh, on this particular episode I wanted to talk about. Now, those of you that know me, uh, hey, you know I'm colorblind. So I was, you know, I've, I've grown up here in southwest Virginia. I've lived here most of my life, with the exception of a few years that I lived in Cincinnati and uh, working for a, an investment uh, company up there. Uh, then I came back here, as many of you know, and I, you know, I set up my own investment advisor company with a business partner, uh, also one of our board members here, uh, Dr. Stratton. Um, but you know, I've lived in this in Southwest Virginia, and, and most of my life, and you know, I've never, I've always been fascinated just by the just the sheer beauty that's around us, you know, and and we and like we all are. I mean. If you follow uh, folks here in Southwest Virginia or other organizations in Central Appalachia on uh, forums like uh, formats like uh, Instagram or Facebook, there's no shortage of photographs of just just beautiful scenery and fun places to visit and and, you know, and, uh, and things that are of historical significance right here in our in our region. And I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, you know, I, I was kind of wondering, they always call them the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I've driven across them many times. And, I, and it never occurred to me, why are they called the Blue Ridge Mountains? Now, for those of you that know me, I'm colorblind. <laughs> so, or I'm red-green colorblind. So, I, like, my my vision is kind of messed up with all those, as all those colors blend in the middle. So, I decided I was going to look up some information and find out why in the world they're called the Blue Ridge Mountains. Because... You know, it strikes me like anytime I'm at South Holston Dam and I'm looking across at the mountains and just that blue, pristine water, you know, you've always heard the old saying, hey, you know, the water looks blue, but I'd bet you $100 that you go down with the bucket and you can bring me some of that water and it won't be blue. Obviously, it's not. It's just, you know, the way the colors, you know, the, um, the sun bounces off of it. Um, but anyway, I thought it was, I, I'm sure it has a lot to do as I was reading um, with chemistry, which was never my strong suit. So I'm not even going to get into that, but I was looking up some information on why the Blue Ridge Mountains are blue. And as you drive across, as you get close to the mountains, you know, the, uh, I mean, it looks like an entire spectrum of blue, but the closer you get, it all kind of turns apparently green, which is a different color for me. But, you know, you, you see that blue haze is kind of disappear. And, uh, a lot of early settlers um, actually thought maybe the mountain chain was haunted, from what I read. Um, but it's hauntingly beautiful, I will say that. Um, but they thought that, for whatever reason, the mountain range had a, the ability to change colors at will, right? So, um, and I guess it happens multiple times throughout the day if you stare at it all day. I've, I've heard that from people. <clears throat> but I, I found out that they had a... a it's Native American title it was called uh, Quiranc, if I'm saying that correctly, Q-U-I-R-A-N-K. And I guess it was just kind of renamed to Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, but people around the world know about this. I mean, it's been made popular by singers like Dolly Parton, John Denver. Um, and, it's, you know, Blue Ridge Mountains and the Appalachian mountain chain, obviously, are world famous. Um but a lot of people struggle to understand why it went from blue at a distance, and then you know the closer you get, uh, it would it would change. 
so there's a lot of superstitions I read that were kind of built around that. And just obviously people thought it was a, some natural phenomenon. But scientists cracked the mystery, right? So um, there is a chemistry equation that breaks it down. And don't ask me to get into that. <laughs> um, but, you know, the trees and, and the other plant life on, this, on these just old ancient mountain chains... Um, they uh, emit this, um, I guess, a chemical or something into the air that is called isoprene. Well, isoprene, um, it's kind of like a natural survival mechanism from what I read for, for trees to, um, I guess, combat this like stresses in, in the region. And I'm not, maybe it's just weather related stresses and, and you know, I guess, because if you look at the wide range of temperatures during the course of a day in the fall and winter and sometimes in the spring, um, so maybe it's in regards to that. But anyway, nonetheless, isoprene is emitted off of a lot of the fauna, um, and that is uh, what, I guess, gives it its, uh, its hue. Now, I'm going to read this from an article I read. This is from Appalachian Magazine. Uh, it says, isoprene emissions are natural survival mechanism trees use in order to combat naturally according, uh, occurring stresses plants in the Appalachian region face, often on a daily basis, um, I, okay, which includes large fluctuations in leaf temperature, which goes right along with what I was reading before. Uh, isoprene is incorporated into and helps stabilize cell membranes in response to heat stresses. Uh, so when it's released, it interacts with other molecules in the air, gives it that haze. Um, kind of like what, what you'd see with the sky uh, or ocean from a distance, just a soft blue. Uh, but I guess it's, we're not the only place on the planet, as I read, that has that, uh, I guess those extreme stresses of environment that create that blue hue. Um, there's actually a, a mountain range in Australia that does the same thing. And they're actually called the Blue Mountains. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But, you know, our, our Blue Ridge Mountains stretch over 500 miles. And like I said, they're world famous. And uh, I, th I thought that was quite an interesting uh, uh, information to read about why the Blue Ridge Mountains are blue. Especially for a colorblind dude. So... Um, take it, uh, take that for what you want. It was, it's a fun, a fun article. Um, it was several articles that I read about it. So uh, if you want to, just do a Google search on why the Blue Ridge Mountains are blue, and you'll probably come up with quite a few things that I saw also. <clears throat> but another thing I wanted to talk about um, is, uh, yes, another interesting site in Appalachia. And no, this time I'm not talking about the beautiful landscapes and mountains, like I usually do, that I just fawn over all the time. Uh, I'm talking about West Virginia's Capitol building. Now, West Virginia is one of the most beautiful places in the entire country to drive through. Um, no doubt about it, whether you're uh, you know, traveling in the uh, southern portion or the Princeton, Bluefield area and experiencing those mountains through there, uh, or driving all the way over toward the, you know, the eastern side of the state where Green Bank is, which we talked about that telescope on our podcast before, and that kind of weird mystery of Green Bank, West Virginia. But Charleston is, uh, is an interesting town. Uh, West Virginia is full of incredible history and scenery from town to town, and 
county to county. However, there's you know this one particular place of scenery that sticks out when you travel through West Virginia. Uh, anyone who isn't from West Virginia that drives through Charleston always asks the same question. What's up with that giant golden dome on the Capitol building? So you've probably seen pictures of it if you haven't driven through there. Uh, <clears throat> the capital city of West Virginia is also an interesting story in and of itself. Okay. Um, in fact, the capital was first located in Wheeling uh, from 1863 to 1870. Wheeling, that's an interesting, I'll, I'll have a segue to Wheeling here in just a few moments. But um, Wheeling from 1863 to 1870, and in 1870, the capital moved to downtown Charleston. And from there, it stayed until 1875 when it moved back to the previous location in Wheeling for the next decade. So in 1877, the public voted to make Charleston the state capital. They began construction, and the capital building opened eight years later, and this was in 1885. In 1921, the building was destroyed by a fire, and a temporary building was used until funding was available for a permanent structure. However, the temporary Capitol building also burned down in 1927. That's some bad luck for West Virginia. Uh, the Capitol building standing now is the one commissioned by the Capitol Building Commission in the 1920s. So the building was built in three stages and was finally completed in June of 1932, gold dome and all during one of the worst years of the Great Depression at a cost of just under $10 million. The Capitol building in Charleston actually stands about 10 feet taller than the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. So is that real gold on the top of the Capitol building? And did they really put that on there during the, one of the worst years of the Great Depression? Yep, it sure is. It's a 23-karat gold leaf dome. Uh, you can find all kinds. Of, you can find all kinds of really interesting displays at the cultural center when you visit the Capitol. Even though the gold on the dome is a thin layer of, of uh, liquefied gold uh, that was sprayed on, some estimate that the current value of the gold is several million dollars. Uh, it's revered as one of the most beautiful Capitol buildings in the country, actually. And if you ever make it to Charleston, it is well worth the tour if you're traveling through. Um, Obviously, it's a little tougher during these COVID times, but check the schedules. You never know. Um, it, uh, it is certainly an interesting and fun tour to make if you're, if you're driving through West Virginia. Now, the first time I drove through there, that was the first thing I noticed. is like, wow, is that a gold dome? Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> it is a beautiful building. Uh, it's an old building, and it's, uh, it's, it's certainly uh, got an interesting history. Now, I want to segue into Wheeling, West Virginia for a moment because I want to kind of get into the, the sad point, uh, sad part of the show. Um, as you all know, uh, last year, 2000, or year before, 2019, uh, we lost one of our founders and uh, a director, James Hibbins. And James is a personal friend of all of us here at the foundation. And he was one who had such a, a vision and a passion for Appalachia. And he was one of the people that helped form and found this, this organization. And James, as you know, I'd mentioned previously, I had passed away of a massive heart attack. And uh, he was in his early 50s. Uh, James had had heart issues. And he was in pretty rough, you know, he, but he was in good shape, though. Uh, he was the kind of guy that always went to the gym, worked out. Uh, so maybe, I don't know if it was a hereditary issues. But anyway, James had passed. 
Well, 2020 struck hard again. And um, I'm trying to hold it together as I you know, uh, alert people to this. I did post this on our foundation Facebook page. Melinda Ellsberg was also one of our founders. And Melinda is incredibly passionate about everything local. You know, she, she was a patriot, uh, loving mother, uh, loving wife. Uh, she worked uh, as a teacher's aide at Richlands Middle School, working with um, learning disabled kids primarily. And that was, you know, that was her passion was working with children and working with the youth and providing wanted to, at some point as funding was available as we grew as an organization, have a kind of a wing of our, our foundation that would actually uh, have youth programs. And that was, that was her passion. Uh, Melinda was also a cancer survivor. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd often joked around that she was my favorite superhero because she was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer, had, uh, had surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. And I sat with her through every one of those visits. Um, every radiation treatment, I was there for. Every chemotherapy treatment, I was there for. Even a blood transfusion that went to the wee hours of the morning because the chemo had just zapped her body and uh, had really decimated her, her immune system. And Melinda passed away on December 17th. Uh, she was diagnosed with COVID on a Tuesday and was gone Thursday afternoon. And Melinda will be terribly missed. Uh, terribly missed. She was my big sister. So in 2021, you know, I wanted to put a, a good spin forward that, you know, every day is what we make it. And it can be here in Appalachia as it is anywhere. So take your good fortunes, pay it forward. Even if you don't, uh, you know, even if it's not a donation to our foundation, uh, a smile to a stranger, a hug to someone who needs it, or a kind word to someone who looks like they're having a bad day. These things go a long way, folks. And uh, our blessings can be paid forward in any way, shape, or form. And I want to thank again everybody who's been supportive of us and our mission and our cause. And let's, uh, let's make 2021 a great one. Thanks again for tuning in to Appalachian Shine. We'll be back uh, pretty soon with some new episodes. Thanks again for that grant. Uh, this will help fund our podcast for the entire year and then some other things as well. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to it and we're excited. Um, there's always challenges out there and we will meet them. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks for your time. God bless.